Welcome. It's great to have all of you here with us. You know, I hope you have uh, at least one friend that's a scientist. You know, everyone should have at least one friend that's a chemist. They, they have all the solutions. So, let that sink in for some of you. <laughs> you know, like a, uh, the optimist looks at the glass and he says it's half full, and the pessimist looks at the glass and says it's half empty. But the chemist looks at the glass and he says it's full, you know, containing 50% H2O, 39% nitrogen, 10.5% oxygen, 0.47% argon, and 0.02% carbon dioxide and other trace elements. So that's, that's the kind of friend you need, someone to give you that kind of data. So, Well, it's time to turn it over to someone that's just that kind of friend. It's Dr. John with the Technology Spotlight. <laughs> So we already know everything there is to know about the solar system, right? Or do we? And that's our tech of the week. Just recently, we discovered a new mini planet coming towards us. Only it's coming towards us, but it's going to miss us by, you know, maybe 10 astronomical units, somewhere around there which is a lot. <laughs> uh, but take a look at this picture. You can see the rock coming towards, and way in the distance, you can see our sun. And it's coming closer and closer. The only problem is, this is just a picture that somebody drew. <laughs> it's not the real thing. But it gives you an idea of, of what it might look like, right? And um, this object that we haven't really gotten a good look at is uh, pretty big. It's actually between 60 miles and 200 miles, they estimate. And we actually don't know because the way that we tell is by looking at how bright it is. And it may have some comet kind of cloud coming off of it that would change how big it looks. So we're not actually going to know until it gets a little bit closer. You know, maybe about 10 astronomical units. Mm -hmm. Which brings up an interesting question. What in the world, or in outer space, is an astronomical unit? And I want to talk about that just a little bit because it's really pretty interesting. Uh, an astronomical unit is about 93 million miles. And it's the way that we measure things in the solar system. And really, all it is is the distance between Earth and the sun. And if you take a look at this diagram, you can see up at the top, it, that's what the 93 million miles are. But then we use that as a measuring stick to measure other things. Like Jupiter is about 5.2 astronomical units. So if you imagine five Earths lined up there, then that's a measuring stick, a way of measuring distance that's a lot better than the huge number of miles it is from the sun to Jupiter. So that's what an astronomical unit is. Now, the really interesting thing about uh, this new mini planet is its orbit, which is huge. And they actually discovered it uh, just recently, just barely, but they discovered it by looking at images that were taken all the way back in 2014 through 2018. And they were going through the data. Someone finally took the time to go through and comb through the details, and they found it. And, you know, they probably had a hard time deciding what to name it, so they let the computer name it, of course. And so they call it 2014 UN271. <laughs> yes, I think we're going to need a new name, but that's our working name. <laughs> and anyway, so this object, uh, 
is coming closer and closer, and it's going to be its very closest to Earth in uh, 2031, early 2031. So that's in about 10 years. And you're probably thinking that's a really long time to already be talking about it. You know, we have to wait 10 years, but wait a minute. It won't be back for 600,000 years. So it's actually very, very close. Yeah, let's take a look at its orbit. And uh, if you look at this diagram, you can see the different planets. You can see how uh, Neptune and Uranus are uh, out there further than this object is coming in. And then that yellow circle is Saturn's orbit. And then inside of that, Jupiter. And then it gets so small, you can't hardly see, but all the other planets. And um, you can see how it's going to go just a little bit further than Saturn at its closest as it swings by. And then it's out for another 600,000 years. <laughs> so don't miss it. <laughs> and um, it's pretty amazing that it's been there all this time and we haven't seen it until now. Unless you zoom out and think about what else is out there probably. And we always talk about how Pluto is a dwarf planet, you know, poor guy, right? But uh, he's out in the Kuiper belt. And if you look at this diagram, I don't know how well you can see it. In the very center, there's a yellow dot. That's the sun. And then around 10 astronomical units is where the planets are. Remember, Saturn is right in that area. And then if we go out a little further, maybe 100, we get out to the Kuiper belt. That's where we might find Pluto and a lot of other objects like that. But then if you go way out there to that green part of the cloud there, that's the Oort cloud. And that's where a lot of the comets originate from. And that appears to be the same area where this object is from. In its furthest part of the orbit from the sun, it's 60,000 astronomical units away from the sun. That's why it takes so long, because it goes way out there and then comes back. And as it gets closer to the sun, it speeds up and then zips by, and then, then it's out again. <laughs> and so it's going to be a really long time before it comes back. And just imagine all the things there are out there to discover. They estimate that there are trillions of objects in the Oort cloud, and uh, only a small percentage that we actually know about. So no, we don't know everything about the solar system. In fact, we're just barely getting started. That's all the tech we have the time for. All right. Now it's time for Breakthrough Moments in Science with Tobias. So, I'm just going to say it right out front here, okay? You are pretty amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, I know there's some of you who are like, I know. And then there's some of you who are like, tell me more. Okay. <laughs> well, let me tell you a little more about it because it turns out you have some pretty high-tech stuff going on inside of your head. And I'm not just talking about your brain. If you think about it, when you go for a walk, it's pretty, it's, it can be calming, peaceful, okay? Can you imagine somebody taking a camera and going for a walk and you watching that video? It's probably like, you know, shaking around. Um, Caleb, go ahead and shake it. Shake it, okay? Okay, well, sort of. It's way worse than that, okay? But you don't experience that in your view when you walk. Have you ever thought about 
even just bouncing. If you try just bouncing your head, yep, I feel okay. Some of you, <laughs> if you just try bouncing your head, the world doesn't go boom, 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 boom. You actually have a stabilization process built in to your head at your ears, and it's actually connected to your eyes and your brain. And you're literally life stabilizing your view as you are taking everything in. And it's a pretty amazing thing. I mean, just being able to walk. We actually bounce up and down when we walk, and you wouldn't guess it because it's so stabilized. So this stabilization ability is something we've wanted in cameras. It's something we've wanted in lots of different things. And there's some amazing technologies behind this stabilization that we've been able to create and benefit from. So first I want to talk about gyroscopes. Now a couple weeks ago, you got to see that awesome one that Dr. Billings had. And you remember it had that spinning disc, and when you would push on it, you would feel a resistance when it was pushed on because it wanted to stay at whatever place it was fixed at. So as it's spinning, it's wanting to hold that position. And if you push it, there's a resistance, okay? That's a really important thing that we're gonna take from this. Um, going forward, they use gyroscopes and things like airplanes to be able to uh, sense things. So you, they have the roll, okay? That's if the airplane's here like this. Um, the roll is gonna be like, going like that, okay? The yaw, I think. And then the pitch, okay? Those three axis points or pivot points, they can actually sense the changes in using gyroscopes inside of the airplane. I mean, there's nothing else the airplane is using as a reference, and it can be able to sense how much it's changing or tipping in those three axes. So how do you take something like that and shrink it, shrink it, shrink it, shrink it, small enough to fit in a phone? Because um, kind of a spoiler alert, we got it in phones, in case you didn't know. Um, so, I mean, if I, t if I have an image and I turn the image, how's the phone know I turned? And that's something we, we almost just take for granted, okay? Um, in fact, we, we're like getting in our bed and we lay down and the screen turns. It's like, what? <laughs> okay, it's a real miracle that it's doing that. How does it know that I turned the phone? And it turns out we had to get a gyroscope system and something else small enough to fit inside of a phone to be able to make that happen and the magic thing is MEMS okay now that sounds like a cool slang word for a plural version of M&M hey give me some MEMS okay but no <laughs> MEMS okay and they are micro, micro electric mechanical systems okay and these turn out to be the game-changing thing that we, we were looking for to get this inside. Now, it turns out there's two things, a gyroscope and something else called an accelerometer, okay? Now, an accelerometer, basically, if you think about um, acceleration, okay, acceleration in being able to change the velocity, the, the velocity that you're at. So if you're going to increase in velocity, you're accelerating. So if you think about like a a spring and there's a weight on the bottom. If I put that in a box and then I take the box and I start moving it sideways, that weight is gonna get behind a little bit, okay? And eventually though, if I keep the same speed, it'll come back and be straight again until I change my speed again, okay? The, the amount that the spring is stretching, we can ac actually calculate the amount that it stretches and be able to determine the amount of acceleration based upon that. And so an accelerometer, if you want to get a three-dimensional 
um, sensing system of changes in acceleration. An accelerometer has basically three of those pointed in the three different directions of axes. So how do you get these springs with weights inside of something super small? And it turns out they figured out a way to be able to um, have basically these forks within a circuit. So if we look at this picture, we've got these forks, okay? This is on a tiny silicon chip. And they run a current through this system. And the orange part that you see is flexible. So that, that's like our weight on a spring, okay? And so that part can go back and forth. And there, the capacitance between those green needles and the orange ones is changing when that starts to go back and forth. And as the chip senses that change, it's able to calculate the amount of force that is being put upon that chip to make that move. And so there's, if you imagine three of those, now all of a sudden we can start sensing a change in movement or in velocity. So that's the first piece, the accelerometer. And then the second part is the gyroscope. So the, the gyro is basically gonna help us sense turning and tilting, changing our angle. And it's a lot like this, only there's a lot more to it. So instead of a stationary thing, and then when there's movement, it moves, it's constantly moving, like that spinning disc on that gyro. So if you look at this picture, we've got a lot more uh, complex things going on, but when, basically when this is on, that part is constantly oscillating, or going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And any slight turn or tilt is going to impact that back and forth movement like a spinning gyro. And it's going to be able to sense that resistance and be able to calculate that and put out information about what kind of turning is going on. So to put this into, okay, how does this actually work? Well, we're going to go back in time a long time ago when this came out. I know, some of you kids are like, whoa, that's so old, okay? <laughs> now I feel old, okay. But if you look at this, you know, you, you think about, like, we probably all know these. These are those Wii remotes, okay? I remember when they came out, all right? I'm from way back. <laughs> but when they came out, it was like, whoa. You know, they come out in the commercial, the Japanese man's like, we would like to play, okay? Uh, but you take the Wii remote, and I can move it, and whatever game you're playing, it's, it's moving. Oh, my goodness. Uh, there's no wire, and it can sense this movement. So, like, if you're playing golf, okay, here's my golf stick. All right, I got this. I got this. You get it, and you hit the ball, okay? When you swing the Wii remote, and the Wii was one of the first um, consumer electronic devices that implemented this system. When you swing it, that's the accelerometer sensing the change in your velocity and the power, and it's converting that into the game, okay? The angle at which you swing it, because if you're going to be a golfer, you've got to get the right, you know? Um, it, it senses that with the gyroscope. And so being able to combine that, and this, the information that they, they capture actually kind of overlaps each other. But between those two, they're able to understand and figure out what I'm doing with that movement and change it into electrical information that can then be used in the system. So pretty amazing stuff. And I, I have one prop that I want to show because this is a, a wonderful example of a gyroscope in, 
in actually being used. So this is a camera stabilizer. So remember, we have that built-in one that we enjoy, and then somebody gets out their phone, and they don't have image stabilization on, and it's like, whoa, you know? So if I turn this on, this is going to take control of my device, okay? Now, if we look, let's zoom out so we can see this whole part here. This bottom piece is a gyroscope, and it's this axis. So it's constantly monitoring any change in that axis. And if I change it, it runs a motor to cancel out that movement. This one is doing the same thing for this axis. And then this one is doing it this way. So all together, it's trying to keep the camera stable. So it's constantly sensing my unsteady filming and hopefully making a much more clearer picture. But this is a gyroscope in action of actually being able to monitor and adjust live. So this is basically trying to catch up with what you can already do with your head. So from airplanes to phones to, you should try it sometime. It's pretty amazing. It's all amazing stuff, but it all comes from this tiny, tiny chip that's doing incredibly big things. Thank you. And now introducing Roger Billings. It's Roger Billings. <laughs> How do I do it? Stand up, sit down. Okay. This is an emergency, so <laughs> please bear with me because I'm going to have to do a manual page intro. This is a just bear with me. Excuse me just a minute. You take over, okay? <laughs> and there goes Roger Billings out the door. Hope he goes. This is fun. This is new. This is unexpected. <laughs> and here it comes. <laughs> what is this? This is a page intro. <laughs> Every time we like to do this little intro. It's pretty amazing. Wow. As the guys say. <laughs> I do love plants. I'm doing this without rehearsal. <laughs> this is why they call ourselves live. Because this is it's living. I'm so lively. <laughs> okay. Just one more right wow. there. Look at that. What do you think? <laughs> What? Teleprompter. Oh, good news. Oh, yes? The real intro has been repaired. Would you like to say it? <laughs> this is the real intro. Okay. Okay. I, I, 
I was inspired, and so I got to do something. Do you like it? Is it a train? It. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? What's the noise? You can't hear it? I can hear it. So, you know, Tobias has this image stabilizer in his brain. I heard that. I have this noise stabilizer. You know, it, it actually is amazing. It's my heart. Every time my heart beats, it squeezes blood out of the heart and it goes to my whole system. I'm wired. You're wired. <laughs> and when the blood goes shooting past the eardrum, it makes this really loud noise. Of course, my heart's more. Because I've been working. Right? Yeah. But I, I was simulating that. yours. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, if it beats right? slower, we live longer. <laughs> that noise is so distracting. We couldn't do anything. We couldn't sleep. That would be awful. But the brain realizes that that's just the blood going through. And so it subst- subtracts the noise out of what we hear. That's amazing. I mean, by math, it just mathematically removes it. Kind of like, what if Titus were to do some magic over there at the camera and he'd just image mathematically remove me and so it would just be you? Well, he better not. <laughs> like a green screen, you know, something uh-huh. like that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Think about it the brain, the That's brain, amazing. the brain. Uh, the story about uh, the the surgery they performed, this, this gentleman was involved in a terrible motorcycle accident and it severed his optic nerve and they got him into the hospital and they reconnected the nerves coming from the eye to the brain, hooked them, spliced them back together. And as I was thinking about that, you know, inside the eye we, we have a lens that focuses the light back on the the retina, the part of the brain that, that actually can see. And it's got all these little sensors, rods and cones, rods and cones. Why rods and cones? So you can see when it's dark, and so you can see colors, right? And they're all lined up just right, and whatever is focused by the lens up here is gonna show up on that part of my image in the brain, okay? But now, this optic nerve got cut, so all these little strands or fibers, electrical fibers, are wired to the wrong place. So I'm looking at Matthew over there, but it looks like he's over there because the wires got crossed. And I thought, that, that poor guy, he's going to see things all And the amazing thing is the brain was able to detect that everything was out of place. And as it looked back and forth and watched the way things would move, over a short amount of time, the brain reprogrammed itself that's amazing. to know where all those things are. That's, it's absolutely amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It just happened. And there's one other thing about image stabilization. You know, uh, I, I can't do the enactments like Toby does. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe with Titus, is it? No, just forget it. <clears throat> 
But uh, besides the fact that, that we're stabilized, in, in your cell phone, the computer actually takes these images and notices how much things are jumping around, and it mathematically moves them back. And that's why we can get good pictures just holding our phone. Image stabilization. Technology is so cool. It is. Yeah. It is. Okay. We'd like to welcome everyone today. It's nice you could show up. Dr. John, thank you for the new planet. <laughs> uh, so I'm not sure I'll be available in what year did you say? 26? 2031. 2031. So can I just schedule for the next one? <laughs> it's like almost a million years away. 2031's not that far away, is it? Do you know that I'm the only living person that can remember last time it was here? Oh. <laughs> what was it like? Oh, it was this little dot you couldn't see without a telescope. <laughs> pretty neat, huh? Yeah, pretty neat. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, uh, some of you really follow everything that NASA does. NASA does a lot of cool stuff, right? Mm -hmm. uh, they, they even have rockets now that the booster comes and lands. Oh, no, that's, Rock that's NASA Elon. Does? Okay, but yeah. anyway, NASA yeah. sponsored. Anyway, we sent, we, meaning NASA, I mean, by the way, uh, some of you know about gold keys? Right. Did you know that NASA uses gold key? Yep. It's, it's a fact. That's neat. Yeah, it is neat. They're mm -hmm. very smart people. <laughs> but anyway, NASA sent a space mission. They launched a rocket and sent a vehicle, an unmanned vehicle, clear out into the outer part of the solar system where they have a bunch of debris. It's uh, <clears throat> the asteroid belt. And this is kind of an interesting story. There's, there's something kind of magical about the planets. If you take the distance from the sun to the earth, you get one astronomical unit. Mm -hmm. If you multiply that by about 1.69, you get the orbit of the next planet. And you start out with Mercury, and, and it's not exactly on, but every one is spaced out at about that ratio. And some people call that the divine proportion because there it is in nature, and it goes out. But as you're going out, you get to one place where there should be a planet, and there isn't one. But there's all of these little rocks floating around, the asteroids. So it's called the asteroid belt. The magical ratio is interesting, isn't it? I think it is. It's miraculous. Am I it's making you nervous? <laughs> you I'm making her to? nervous just by staring. <laughs> You win. I can stare. You win. Okay. <laughs> That's what we're doing. So anyway, we decided, we, NASA and me and some of the guys, decided to send a mission to an asteroid. And so I went to spaceship, got to the asteroid, it landed, it got a chunk of the asteroid. And interestingly, it was able to analyze and we know all the chemical, all the details about that particular asteroid. But X billion years ago, that asteroid collided with another asteroid, 
and broke a piece off, a bunch of pieces probably, and one of the pieces just happened to go in the direction of towards the Earth. And that piece of that asteroid hit the Earth. And where would it hit the Earth? Well, of course, very special place. Missouri. Yeah. Not too many miles from here, this great big asteroid hit, and they analyzed it, and they found out that it was actually part of the asteroid they visited because it has the same chemical density, composition, and so forth. And I think that's all really, really interesting. You say, well, why are we talking about that? Because we made a discovery. You know, I live uh, on a little ranch out where maps don't even reach. I mean, <laughs> end of the roads. When there's no more road, I'm home. Right? <laughs> way out there, and on our little family ranch, we found a piece of that same asteroid. So when the big piece was coming in, it landed over there, and they found the big one, just a little one. It's about the size of a golf ball. Landed right on our ranch, and we found it. We are now an asteroid-attacked ranch. <laughs> Missouri rocks, doesn't it? <laughs> you win twice. Okay. You're really, really, really on a roll. But there's something very serious we need to talk about today. Okay. They say that in science, necessity is the mother of invention. Mm -hmm. In other words, when we have a need, when there's a problem that needs to be solved, that's a good reason for us to get our gray matter cooking to make inventions. And a lot of inventions have resulted because we needed it. We really, really needed it. And today, we stand with a serious need. Yep. We have it? a very, very great need. Do you know what the need is? I don't. You need to know. I do need to know. <laughs> she has a need to know. I do. And here is the need. We need housing. That's true. We have a very serious housing shortage. One of the things that has, has long been great about America, uh, some call it the American dream, is that people, usually quite often immigrants, come to this country and they dream of someday owning their own house. And many, many millions of Americans have. And now we have a lot of American families that like to own a home, but they can't. There is a, a real shortage of homes. And not only that, there's even a shortage of materials to build homes. In just the last year, the cost of things like wood, tubifores have just shot up in price. Mm -hmm. And so there, there's a lot of building going on, but the building is becoming very, very expensive, and there's not enough homes, and the need is only going to increase, and we need a way to be able to build a lot more homes. Homes are becoming very expensive, especially compared to the in income of most people. So now a lot of people are going to be forced to just rent a home because they can't buy one because they are so expensive. 
That, to me, is a necessity. It's a crisis that needs to be solved. Could we solve it using science? Remember, science is a tool. The scientific method. It's a tool to attack problems. It works with all kinds of problems, but it especially works with problems that require technology. Is there a way to solve this crisis of a shortage of homes? And Matthew's over there, oh, I got it. We'll, we'll build more homes. Thank you, Matthew. <laughs> sure nice to have you here tonight. We, we ought to, in the future, Maybe have a camera just focus oh, right on Oh, that's a good idea. The Matthew camera? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that would really be nice. Look how red it's he good is. to have you here tonight. <laughs> mm-hmm. But anyway, the challenge is if if we're running short on these natural resources like the wood and so forth, and the cost is very high, then we need to bring the cost down. And with the salaries that most people are making, it's getting very hard to own a home if you don't already have one. So not only do we need to have a lot of homes, we need to make them out of something that there's plenty of. And it would be nice if we could figure out how to make them a lot more affordable. That's our mission. As scientists today, we need to invent a way to do that. And I hope some of you are going to say, you know what? I was looking for a science fair project for next year. That's a dandy. And that's how a lot of great, really serious things happen. I like to look for solutions to problems. I'm always on the lookout for problems. Like the other day, I was driving, driving home, and I was looking for problems, and I heard a and I realized I had a flat tire. (laughs) Abraham. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Did he come? Oh. Did he come fix it? Thank goodness for Abraham. <laughs> yeah, Abraham always comes, and I appreciate it. At any rate, uh, unlike Matthew, he's, never mind. <laughs> let's, don't even, let's don't even go there. But uh, I'm really serious about the housing yes. thing, and I think it's time for the best minds in America, many of which are you young people. Yeah, yeah, and your parents too. But you young people are some of the best minds in America. And what if you were to focus some of your creative cycles on how to solve the housing crisis? And it is a crisis, and it's going to get worse unless we solve it. So when I take on a project like this, the first thing I say is, listen, if I'm going to take time to figure out how to build a house for a lot of wonderful people, It's sure not going to be the kind of house people are used to living in. It's going to be better. Isn't that what technology is about? Not only are we going to make a house, not only are we going to make it out of materials that are available, but we're going to make it affordable. And we've got to make it a whole lot better. So I've already got you started because I've been cranking on this for a little while. Years ago, I went to a a major computer conference in Las Vegas, Nevada, where I was exhibiting some of our technology. And we built an exhibit we called The Home of the Future. Some of you may remember that. You were there. I was there. Yeah, it it was really neat. So we came up with all these ideas 
of how you could make a home for the future and mm -hmm. technology you could have. <laughs> One of the things we did, we, we, took, we built this little house layout on the show floor and people would come in, we'd take them on a tour of the house and show them all these new exciting ideas and technologies. When they got into the kitchen, there was a little computer on the wall and you could go over and order something like, we'd go over and order a pizza, pepperoni, peppers, things that you want on it, and then you'd hit the order button. And in our display, a pizza would fall out of the counter, uh, of the cupboard on the counter. <laughs> yep. Order. Instant fast. We thought that was so neat. The second you order it, there it is. Yep. Of course, now, it comes the day before you decide you want to order. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what John yeah, did. They, they, they predict yeah. tomorrow it's going to order a pepperoni pizza. Better get it shipped. That's right. right. Uh, it, is, it is really amazing. But there were a lot of neat things in that home of the future. And if we're going to design the next generation home, it ought to be really amazing. You want to hear some things I came I up with? Okay, first of all, this new home of the future has got to be safe, 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 safe. And in this part of the country, one of the things that we're always aware of is severe weather. Mm -hmm. And they say it can happen anywhere, but there are places where you'll have a big storm come over, there'll be a tornado. Tornadoes can be very disruptive, very dangerous. They can rip down buildings and houses and pull up trees and throw cars and buses around. And they take lives every year. So if we're going to design a house, why don't we design one that is tornado proof? That would be a good idea, wouldn't it? Yes. To just know. You could be a storm chaser just sitting right there. <laughs> but think about it. There are some very, very tall buildings like the new one in New York City. Very, very tall. And they were able to make that building that tall with only as much of the material in it as they, they put, which of course saved a lot of the cost, by not creating any place on the building that the wind could get a hold of the building. You know, if you, if you bear, build a square building, like some of the early skyscrapers, when the wind comes, it can kind of get a hold of the corner and uh, create wind damage. Mm -hmm. Well, this one was made so as it goes up, it's roundish and it turns and the wind can't really get a hold of it. So if we want to make a tornado-proof building, one way is to make it very strong. If you make it very strong, quite often that's very expensive. So we want to make it tornado-proof without it being too expensive because we're trying to make this affordable, right? So I envision this new home of the future having rounded corners. Neat. Rounded corners, rounded around the top, rounded around the bottom. And then the wind won't really be able to get a hold of it. Next thing, it's got to be anchored very well. And it's got to be made out of very durable materials. That brings up the next thing. Not only should it be tornado-proof, <laughs> some people are going to say, oh, I see where he's going with this. <laughs> it's got to be maintenance-free. <laughs> wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It ought to be something that you don't have to paint very often. <laughs> or ever. Or ever. <laughs> 
And so, and it's got to be made out of something that is affordable, something we have plenty of. Now, did you know they build homes out of straw? They actually took bells of straw and stacked them up, and they thought, wow, what if a wild herd of horses comes and eats your house? (laughs) Anyway, so we need to figure out the next generation of building material. And uh, I was visiting one of the national laboratories. Uh, We have several national laboratories. I mean, they're operated by our government in several places around the United States, Los Alamos and others. The one I went to was on Long Island, New York, and it's called Brookhaven National Laboratory. And they're doing a lot of very cutting-edge research. Well. When I went to visit them in one of the laboratories, they were working on a thing called solid polymer concrete. Now we all know what concrete is. That's when you take a high-grade limestone, crush it up into a very fine powder, and then cook it in an oven at a high temperature. And when you are finished, it becomes a powder called cement or concrete. If, excuse me, cement. If you put the cement in, into a mixer and then you put some sand and some gravel and some water and mix it up and pour it out, what you get is a runny, muddy kind of stuff, which is concrete. When it sets up, it, it's strong. That's how we do sidewalks and, and make a lot of things out of concrete. Well, at Brookhaven, they were making a kind of concrete, only instead of using the normal materials, they were using some rock and so forth in it, but then they were using a special polymer. A polymer is a kind of material that's like plastic. And so they put this, the stuff they were, they were making, you put two resins into the mixer, and then they put in, in the case that I saw, pea gravel, which are little roundish stones like you get from a riverbed, mixed it all up, and when they poured it out, it looked like these stones were wet, but it was wet with stuff that was going to very quickly turn into solid plastic. And they actually used it. They put it into a pipe, and then they spun the pipe, and a centrifugal force pushed this aggregate out to the outside edge, and it set up. So when they got done, they had a pipe that had a hole in the middle, and then there was a liner of this solid polymer concrete. And they were making a pipe that you could use for things like acid that were very corrosive. It's neat. Because it would eat through the metal, but it had this this liner. Well, I think it's amazing stuff. And you could have a very thin layer of it on the outside of a house, and it would make it beautiful, because you could have whatever stone color thing you want. And it would be extremely durable. Should never have to be painted, and be very strong. Now, the next thing we've got to do is we've got to make these new homes. And by the way, you're the local branding expert. Uh, Dr. Monet is the person that can always figure out what to call something we're going to make. Really? So she names Gold Key. She names <laughs> she all names this Gold different Key. stuff. Yeah. Mm. So what kind of name? We need a name because okay. we can't call this the new house. 
No, See, that never catch on with it. <laughs> okay, so we're selling the new houses. No, it's, it's got to be better than that. Yes, it does. So the next thing is these, these new houses of the future have to be very energy efficient. Energy is, is precious. We want to conserve it. How do you conserve energy in a house? You insulate it well. So you keep the cold out in the winter and you keep the hot out in the summer. So you need very little air conditioning to be comfortable. So since we have this solid polymer concrete on the inside and outside, in between we put a bunch of foam. And the foam is a very good insulated material because it's got all these little bubble pockets. So heat can't go through it very well. You put it in the middle of the wall and it keeps the cold out and the warm thin in the winter and the opposite in the summer, right? Mm -hmm. So it's got to be highly insulated. It's got to look that <laughs> 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 <Da> key. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know how cool it's got to look? How cool? <laughs> I can't even say it. It's, it's got to be that cool. Yeah, really I mean, who wants cool. to buy a house that doesn't look like... <laughs> you know I what I'm saying? I anybody. I want to show you a picture of a house that I don't want it to look like. Okay? Oh, Take a look at this one. <laughs> well, it doesn't now, now, this is an affordable house. It has mm -hmm. rounded corners. Mm -hmm. It's rounded corners, no tornado problem. Well, actually, this, door, my... this would be like a tornado bullet. <laughs> <laughs> every, every storm, you'd end up in a different state. Um, wow. So it, it's got to be kind of neat. And the other thing is, can you see how small that is? There's some nice signs telling you all the great properties. But uh, the signs are too small to read, and I don't think I'd believe them if I read them, <laughs> because that's not a house, or whatever you're going to call it. Yeah. We need to have something that is spacious. We love space, we the do. final frontier. <laughs> and, and we need a place to eat, yes. a place to entertain, a place to do our laundry, a place to work, a place to do a cellist. Could you hear that again? A place to study. Yes. Yeah, we, we do. need all of those. Yeah, that and, and that just that won't cut house it. Is not it. But you know, uh, they do have one good idea here, and that idea is you want to have a house that everybody can afford? There it is. <laughs> that house costs less than a trailer, let alone a car. And yeah, hmm. And make a good trailer. But we, we want to make the cost low enough that people can afford these. And one good way to do that is to shrink them down in size. Make them smaller. Now these people, in my opinion, have taken that too far. You know, uh, it, it reminds me of a um, <clears throat> story I once heard about um, <clears throat> how you catch alligators. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, we have time. You going to tell if us? You, if you really want to hear it. I do. Do you really want to hear it? Okay, well, it goes like this. So 
If you need to catch an alligator and you don't have very many things, you just have some supplies in your backpack, this is how you do it. You have to have a very boring book. You have to have a box of matches. Matches. You have to have some tweezers and a telescope. And you can catch an alligator. Wow. Do you want to hear how to do it? I'm okay, I'll tell you how. So what you do is you go out to Alligator Land. Okay. Okay, uh, that's where the alligators live. And you go there and you set up a place where you're going to catch the alligator. Okay? Okay. Then what you do, you reach into your backpack and you pull out the very boring book. And you'll see this is all planned out. And so you start reading the very boring book. The problem with very boring books is they're boring. <laughs> and so pretty soon you start yawning, the book is boring, and you fall asleep. In alligator land. In alligator land. That's dangerous. Mm -hmm. And you're there asleep and nice and juicy, and the alligator says, oh, there's a sleeping person. And he comes up out of the water, and he comes over where you're sleeping. Uh -huh. And he sees that book. Alligators have a great curiosity. So he picks up the book and he starts reading. But the book is very boring. So he yawns. Whoa! <laughs> and he falls fast asleep. Wow. Well, now this is where the science comes in. Since you fall asleep first, you wake up first. And so you wake up. Oh, you see the alligator there sleeping right next to the very boring book. So you reach in your back. You pull out the telescope. You look at that alligator. Oh, it's giant. Turn it around. And now he's this cute little alligator seeing you. Yeah. Get the tweezers. Pick him up. Put him in the matchbox. Dump out the matches first. And you've got an alligator. <laughs> what do you think? You buy that? We need a house that is magical. We want a lot of space, but we want to pay for a little bit of space. They're called the Enchanted Cottages. No, I think we should call it a dynamic living pod. Yeah, that's much better. Dynamic living pod. <laughs> dynamic means that it's dynamic. Did you know that in a normal house, about 10 to 15% of all of the floor space is used up just so doors can swing open and close? Yes, that is. That's a lot of waste. That's a, that's lot, a lot of, of money. If you could knock 10, 15% off cost of a house by making it that much smaller. They're dangerous, too. A lot of people could afford it. <laughs> Not, not going to touch that one. <laughs> uh -uh. It's true. But, you know, if you're in the bedroom, you can't get out. There's no doors. But dangerous. other than that, it'd be good. So my, my okay. is we need to develop a very good pocket door. A pocket door is one that just slides. We need to really, really, really perfect those so that we don't have to use any of the space for swinging doors. That would make them quite a bit smaller. I love pocket doors. Dynamic. That means... <laughs> We need a lot of space for what we're doing, mm -hmm. but we don't need any space for what we're not doing. So, for example, if you're not eating, you don't need an eating space. That's true. You if don't. you're not doing the laundry, you don't need the laundry space. Mm -hmm. 
And so what if you could have the house change so all the space is there for what you're doing? You've, you've heard of those beds that when you get up, the bed <laughs> folds up in the wall and it disappears. Why Murphy not? Murphy beds, yeah. Murphy beds. Murphy beds. See, see how good she is with branding? <laughs> That's going to catch on. I know it is. <laughs> so it is. <laughs> the bed disappears wow. because you don't need a bed now. You need space. <laughs> and having these multi-use spaces, I think, is a great opportunity. Yeah. I uh, have to remember the story about David Hall, and he's working on some ideas, and he's got a house where you push a button, and the washer and dryer comes up out of the floor. Wash your clothes, push the button. Yeah. Yeah, we need to figure that all, all out. No, we do. Don't want to get so exotic, no one can afford it. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I think they're is some really great potential of having spaces be multiple use. If you're entertaining a lot of guests, you need to have a lot of space. Mm -hmm. So you push the button and a lot of things disappear. Mm -hmm. And you got the space. Um, you know, we're running a little bit short on time. Yeah. So I think it would be fun if we were to talk to the world's greatest illustrator our, I know. our own Ryan, okay. and see if Ryan would like to, to draw for us these dynamic living pots. Of course he would. Yeah. I kind of see them in a neighborhood, you know, kind of like these curved edge structures, but they've got to be absolutely beautiful. It's got to be a place when you say, wow, it's like a Tesla car, I want one. Mm -hmm. They do. Yeah, it's got to be really amazing. Um, this sounds like a really good project for us to invent. We could get all the students to give us their best ideas. We could integrate them together. We'll have Ryan start with some drawings, which he's so good. His drawing, remember, he's, he's done several covers for Wired Magazine. He's mm -hmm. one of the best creative illustrators on planet Earth or that new planet coming in, either one. <laughs> and um, he is also very, very creative, and I think he can help us get that look. That's exciting. Yeah, that look that people would want to live in. And then with all of these I ideas integrated together, I think we should build one. Oh, absolutely. Here at the Academy? Um, we would need someone to live in it. Just for a year. <laughs> you volunteering? I am. She wants to see what it looks like. I mean, this one maybe doesn't little, cut it. Yeah, that round one, the blue top. Uh, I don't we would have to figure out a place to put it. How about someplace like here? Oh, my goodness. That's... That could be a rooftop. That, that looks like a pod. <laughs> That looks like a pod. It looks like and a you know, pod. it looks to me like they came from another universe. That's what I was thinking. That might be some of my people. They may have come from the multiverse. <laughs> well, we have a very specific look, and that's not it. So. Okay, that's not it. No. no. So no rooftop house or pod for you, right? No, I like the pods. I like you the like dynamic the pod? living mm -hmm. pods. Yeah. Well, I am very serious that we have challenges and problems that need to be solved. And the problems we have today, not surprisingly, are many times very different than problems we had even a few years ago. 
And that's why we need to have this continual stream of blossoming, budding scientists coming out, which gets back to my point I always get back to study hard. Study hard. Empower yourself to help with this stuff. And I would like to invite the whole Celis team. Be, what do we have? Over a million people that are with us yeah, in these little discussions. Yeah. We need all of your best ideas. We do. If we're going to make this be something that will ever happen, I mean, we could build one as a prototype, but the harder part is to build a prototype that is so appealing, that has so many wonderful features that a lot of other people will want one. And I'd like to build these in a way so we could really knock them out. We could build them all over, and they could be the most comfortable, the safest, and the most energy efficient housing on the planet. I love it. But just as important, the most comfortable, the most livable, most inspiring place where humans have ever dwelt. Now, having been there when we used to live in caves and right on the wall, <laughs> yeah. I've seen it come a long ways, but this, this is something that could be really, really interesting, and I hope you'll take it very seriously. And you know, I think one of the keys inside these dynamic living pods is going to be lighting. Yes. With our very efficient LED lighting, if we're changing the space to different missions, we need to be able to go and the lights change. Mm -hmm. That'd be neat. I think we ought to make a new generation of appliances. Yes. There's a shortage of appliances mm -hmm. right now because they can't get microchips. Really? You have to have a microchip computer to make toast? <laughs> Back when we were in caves, you just put in there and push the handle down and it popped up when it was done. The fire under the bottom. Maybe, maybe we've taken some of that too far. Yeah. Oh, you go back further than me. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> well, anyway, so we now have another project to go along with our hydrogen cars and our... Uh, Absolutely. And that is the wonderful thing. We have three and a half million students on the Cellus, and it turns out, perhaps it's a coincidence or a miracle, you decide, but we have 3.75 million problems to solve, inventions needed. It's so wonderful. Technology gives people the power to do amazing things that would have never been possible any other way. Wow. Let's do them. Okay. <laughs> My brain subtracted that right out. All right, see you next time.